Welcome to Bold Ambition Podcast. I'm Ingrid. And I'm Nettie. And we're two passionate Latinas conversing with bold, ambitious voices who are making waves in the world. Every week, we dig into the knowledge of community builders, experts, and thought leaders that equip us to make an impact. Okay, enough talk. Come take action with us. Welcome to episode five, Bold Ambition Podcast. I hope you're ready for this episode. So Ingrid and I got to sit down with one of my best friends, Dr. Natalia Garza-Philpot. And she is, oh my gosh, so smart. I admire her so much. I just admire her work ethic, her love for people, and just her dedication to serve others. So Natalie and I met back at UT, and then she went on to become a doctor. Why bring her in, right? Okay, so we wanted to chat with Natalie a little bit about her perspective as a physician and also as a Latina woman. Some of her patients have been from a Latin background. And of course, we we just wanted to get a little bit of her insight and what she's seen. All right, I'm not going to give it all away. So get ready and let's take a listen. Medical disclaimer. The opinions expressed in this podcast are necessarily opinions of Natalie, Ingrid, and Nettie, and they do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Natalie's employer or any hospital. The information provided in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for professional medical advice. We also advise our listeners to consult a medical professional or healthcare provider if you're seeking medical advice diagnosis, or treatment. Thanks. So my patients usually call me Dr. Natalia. Welcome to the podcast, Natalie. Uh, <laughs> Natalie is my best friend from college, and she is now a doctor. She's out into the world saving little babies' lives, and I just think it takes a superhuman to do that. So, Natalie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I grew up in Del Rio, which is a little border city, about two and a half to three hours southwest of San Antonio. So I met, I met Denise at UT Austin, and um, I went to medical school in San Antonio. Um, and that is where I studied for four years. And then I started my pediatric residency in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins. Pediatric residency is a three-year three training. And I just finished that this last summer. And so now I'm working in, in Atlanta and I'm working with babies that are in, admitted to the ICU. It's so cool because I feel like I've, I've seen Natalie go through all those changes and every time she keeps moving further away. <laughs> but yeah, but it's all good because again, you're doing something amazing. And I love that you keep, you and David, um, so Natalie's married and David is also a doctor. Wow, so we have two superhumans, and I'm just so excited to be talking to you to pick your brain about what you've seen as a physician. I'm sure it's changed from when you were at UT to going to medical school, your residency, and now you're practicing. So can you tell me a little bit about in your day-to-day as a physician, what do you see in the Latino community in regards to their relationship with the U.S. healthcare system? Because you're also from the border, so you know... Mm -hmm. You, you know the cultural stigmas there. Yeah, um, I think it's been super interesting because where I grew up, there wasn't even, there was a few doctors, but there weren't any pediatricians. So my mom had to drive us like 
two and a half to three hours to find a pediatric specialist. A couple of my siblings and I were pretty ill with asthma and, and sort of other childhood diseases, which is um, probably why I ended up in pediatrics. So one, it was it's when you sort of move into the academic sphere, you're like, wow, there's all this surplus, but only for certain people, right? Like, um, I felt like our family was so blessed because we're Latino, but we're English-speaking Latinos. And my mom had the means and the time to get us to medical appointments that were three hours away. And so I think the first thing is one, like, wow, there's all of this. And I had, I had no idea. Um, and I, and I know that my family was pretty privileged in their ability to take us to doctors. So, so one, I think I have a little bit more recognition of that. It's, it's not easy. And I think sometimes as medical professionals, we can easily forget that just because of the environment we're in. You know, if everyone you talk to every day is a doctor, you don't recognize the difficulties it is for someone to, to get to care sometimes. Too, I, I can definitely see as a physician who speaks both English and Spanish that there is um, sort of a, it can be difficult to connect on a language basis too. It's it's weird to speak to a family through, or to speak through your doctor to through a um, interpreter, especially if an interpreter is not in person. Um, with COVID, I think one of the hardest things is a lot of hospitals had to cut back on the number, pure number of people that were allowed into the hospital, which meant a lot of the interpreters um, had to switch over to electronic interpreters. So one being, you know, adding another layer between your patients is, can be really difficult on the physician end. And I can't even imagine as a patient end having to speak through one person on a screen to speak to the person standing in front of you is, is awkward for sure. And then also time delay. If something's happening quickly and you need, your doctor's trying to update you, but they don't speak Spanish and they have to wait to get onto an interpreter, there's just sort of time delay too. Or for patients who can't come into the hospital, again, I think COVID has really made things really difficult. So there's one, this added layer of, of people having to drive or get, go different distances to get medical care, but then also the limiting the number of family members that are allowed to come into the hospital. So then you have to use an interpreter through the phone or something like that has been, um, I think, really difficult for some families. And, and difficult for all families, but I, I think especially for our families who only speak Spanish or, or another language. So it's super important that you're bringing up the language barrier, right, as one of the main factors that has been affecting just a relationship, right, doctor, mm -hmm. patient, and family members. But then also, besides the language barrier, are there any other sociocultural you know, maybe mistrust um, of Western medicine versus the holistic medicine ideas that we bring. And when I say that we bring from our cultures, like, are you also seeing that as a factor on how healthcare is being provided to the Latino Hispanic community? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, my clinic and residency was entirely Latino. Like there was, I probably spoke English like maybe once every couple of weeks to my patients. And so I felt like I was really able to connect because I was, because I shared a lot of, uh, you know, while my mom's a nurse, we, she still believed in Vicks and Sana Sana Colita Verana and all, and all the good things like that, that, you know, we know work, uh, but right. sometimes they need a little help from some Tylenol or some Motion or whatever. So I was really blessed in residency to be in an outpatient clinic where 
all the providers, um, including the nurses and the medical staff, were Latina, Latino, or spoke Spanish, and were pretty uh, had, had a lot of background if they weren't themselves Latina or Latina. And so it's interesting to sort of see my experience in clinic with that, where you know we regularly sort of talked about things like that in our clinic versus at the main hospital where that wasn't the case. And I was probably the only Latina doctor in my specialty in sort of sort of the general pediatrics, I could only think of maybe two or three other people and seeing sort of not that there was a disrespect, but just a sort of didn't really understand why certain things were really important. Like, for instance, if a baby was in the ICU, getting the baby baptized was of utmost importance to most of the most of the families or um, letting their padrino or padrina come in to meet the baby was incredibly important to them. And, and to some people, they're like, well, you know, the baby's sick. They just need to, you know, wow. it, we're, we're trying to like, you know, it's always hard. If the baby's sick, you're always trying to um, sort of prioritize things, but realize checking back and be like, wow, that was like, that was such an important part of my childhood and being able to sort of advocate for families in that sense of saying, this is a really important part of how they're dealing with the illness, with the illness in their family. I think in a way it's just highlighting the lack of cultural awareness in a way, but, and I totally understand it's hard for doctors to, you know, be aware of all cultures and all practices, right. And, and things that we do to cope. Cause it sounds like it's more of a, like, what do we do to cope with like an illness or seeing your baby in the hospital and like, can't do anything other than say like, lo tenemos que bautizar because, you know, God will, you know, protect this baby. And so I can totally, like, I can totally see my mom doing that, <laughs> you know, so, which is funny because I literally just told my mom to do a curarlo del susto to my brother. And I was like, Let, we have to do it. And she yeah. was like, okay, I got to get all the things, you know, and I think in a way it's a way to cope again, with, with a shock or, or trauma or, or something. And, and I still believe in those things, but I also yeah. believe in Western medicine. So. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, we're, we have to take care of a lot of patients. We have to figure out how to do things fast and efficiently, um, but also feel like we're giving every patient enough thought. Um, and sometimes it's easy to forget that healing is so much more than just like the physical part, like a family or a patient's experience with healing and illness involves emotional and spiritual and other dynamics that um, are unique to everyone's culture. Um, and I think if you just didn't grow up around it, you just wouldn't know. And it's not, I think, that anyone's intentionally. It's just I can see when people are shocked that, like, a family's asking if their mother-in-law could come or, or you know, whatever. It's, it's um, you're like, no, that's just what we do. Like, <laughs> And so I think that's sort of been an interesting and sort of like a backwards culture shock for me being in medicine where there's sort of less Latinas and less Latino physicians being like oh okay so you, you're just not used to this. I like that you brought up the word advocate like you have to advocate for yourself as a patient but sometimes you don't have the tools that you need like communication to mm -hmm. to connect with that with the doctor or the staff the hospital staff. I bring up the something that just happened this week Sai, you know, Ned, his brother and my partner, he, I'm not sure if you know, but he got into a car accident and I bring it up because it, it hit us and it triggered us because we also knew that we had this interview coming up with you. And while we're at the hospital, 
we're both, you know, we both speak English and Spanish. We could communicate with staff, but there were still little parts and questions we would get where we kind of looked at each other because there was a disconnect. For example, um, they asked, oh, well, what's your closest pharmacy? Or, or what pharmacy do you usually go to? And I was like, we don't usually ever go to a pharmacy. And right. I mean, that's a privilege. Number two was like, who do you, who, who's your doctor that you see regularly? Again, and I'm like, we don't see a doctor regularly. That's again, that's another privilege and we don't have access to those resources. And then of course, third question is, who's your health insurance provider? So I think all three of those questions that were like kind of threw us off and we were like, oh yeah, this is the healthcare system in America. As a physician, can you tell me your thoughts on that? Because I'm sure you've witnessed so many of those aspects, especially in the border too. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I was talking to Denise about this um, when she talked to me about that, but it is difficult that the way the healthcare system is set up is that you need insurance that is provided through your employer or your parents' employer, essentially. And if not, you're sort of left to picking a plan on the markets if you're unemployed or your job doesn't provide it. But illness, you know, the the way insurance works is it's there if you're ill. And in, when we know the best medicine is prevention. So that's hard because I know that they're, they're asking you, you know, who's your medical home? Who, who knows you is really what they're, they're asking when, they, when I ask someone, hey, do you have a regular doctor who's, who knows you, who's followed you? But if you've never had to live without health insurance, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily see that as a, as a step back question, as a, like a sort of putting someone off a little bit. And it's really hard and difficult for people to navigate because even as a physician, the things were different in Texas versus Maryland versus even Georgia. So there's a lot of loopholes and depending on what bracket of socioeconomic status you fall in, things are harder. You would think that for people who are most at risk for falling through their cracks, that things would be a little more streamlined. But unfortunately, for instance, in Texas, you have to, if you have Medicaid, you have to renew every six months, or at least it was when I was there. I'm not sure what the case is now, but that was particularly hard. And if you had Medicaid, you had, you would get assigned a provider as your primary pediatrician or, or primary provider. But then on the next six month block, you could be assigned a different person. So you know, while you might think, oh, this person's my pediatrician, because of a fragmented way of insurance working, um, that could be sort of thrown off. You know, you asked about health insurance too, and I think it's it's tough because it's incredibly expensive. I'm I'm a physician and so much of my paycheck goes to a health insurance that I don't personally feel like I use. <laughs> you know, I can't even remember the last time I went to the doctor. Um, it was definitely before the pandemic. And so if you're young and you're relatively healthy, why would you devote so much of your paycheck when everyone has other, other priorities? They have families, they have school. So I think that's partially part of the barrier too. I think one aspect of pediatrics that is to why we see our families and our patients so often is because kids need vaccines to go to school. It's just sort of a very basic reason. So we sort of try to take advantage of those visits to check in with their families check in on how the child is developing and growing and their mental health and the stresses of the COVID pandemic and making sure people had resources. But when there's sort of, when there's not a requirement you need for school or for your job, things can sometimes, sometimes it's like you're trying to balance priorities. So I think that's also, also a barrier. Whereas if 
everyone had some some baseline access to medical care, some baseline insurance, I think things would be a little bit different. I think you kind of perfectly like wrapped it up. Yeah, that's so good. You know, it's, I, I think I'm just taking it all in and I'm trying to like, not necessarily come up with more questions, but I think it's such a broad topic. So many things we could be dissecting here. You know, we could be talking more into like the lack of healthcare overall, like how it's affecting the U.S. entirely. I agree. My my insurance is very expensive, and I thankfully so far my employer is paying for it. But um, I just think to myself also like just the visits that I'm supposed to do. But other than that, I don't necessarily use it all the time. Um, and it's like, really, why am I paying for it? But then I get worried about maybe, you know, my, my mom not having health insurance or, you know, my brother. Again, the accident just kind of brought, brought back this idea like, oh, my gosh, it was truly a miracle that he was okay. But had it been worse, had he needed help? Like that was going to be a huge medical bill. Like you never think that you're going to be put in a situation where you, you're going to have to, you know, go to a specialist because something is really wrong. For sure. Ambulances are super expensive. Even if you have health insurance, incredibly expensive. And I feel really strongly that you shouldn't go into financial ruin because you got sick, but that's not the way our, our system is set up, unfortunately. Um, and it's kind of, it's interesting because my husband's family is Canadian and everyone has a baseline amount of medical care available to them without pay. And there's things that the their country sacrifices for that. For instance, there's a lot higher priority on family medicine doctors that truly practice the whole range of family medicine. They take care of babies, they care of children, they take care of pregnant women who are healthy, they take care of young women and their sexual health, they take care of elderly patients, they truly practice the whole sphere of medicine. But the, in the U.S., things are a little bit more fragmented in terms of specialty. In Canada, pediatricians really only take care of kids in the hospital or kids with multiple medical conditions, not the sort of everyday healthy kid. Whereas here, if you're an everyday healthy kid, you're still more likely to see a pediatrician than a family medicine physician. And family medicine physicians don't do a whole lot of the sexual health part for young women, or they don't do a whole lot of maybe the, the caring for elderly patients that they might do in different parts. In Del Rio, the family medicine doctors had to do a lot more because they were the only people there. And so that's, that's something too, is just a different sort of um, priority. And then also, I think there's frustrations that occurred from other Canadian family and friends is that sometimes things take a lot longer to happen to see a specialist if you need one because of longer wait time. So it's definitely um, a tricky thing to balance. And I don't think that necessarily either one is, is I don't think either system, definitely neither system is perfect. Um, obviously, it's ideal if everyone has some baseline level of healthcare that's there uh, that they can access and, and also does if something happens again doesn't put them in a financial ruin um where you're or that you're worried about whether i should even go to the hospital because i know it's going to be at least the er bill and then it's going to be the ct scan bill and then it's going to be the me what other medicines they can you should never have to think how much is this going to cost me before you accept help to me is is just devastating you know, the first thing I thought when, when Denise texted me that he was in an accident, I was like, oh my God, that's going to be so expensive. Yeah. And, and 
I really hope he's okay because one, I, I want him to walk out obviously because we care about him, but also that's going to be a lot on, on, on him as a, as a young guy who, you know, wasn't planning on it. So it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating. And I think what's also can be difficult to navigate is the safety networks in each state are different. It's actually pretty hard to qualify for Medicaid in Texas. You have to be quite poor, mm-hmm. which means even if you don't, you barely make enough money for rent, you might make too much money for Medicaid. And so then you're sort of left in this weird, well, my, inter- my, my health employer doesn't, or sorry, my employer doesn't offer health insurance, but I make too much money for Medicaid, but the plans that are uh, available to me are too much for me or my family. And so you're kind of left in the, these cracks. So it's a very fragmented system that is very, very difficult to navigate. And I think if you don't have personally know people who who have to do that when you're when you work in the medical field it can be easy to forget yeah i just spoke with one of the providers for my health insurance they called me and they were like you can now access a doctor visits or doctors via telehealth um or by the phone so they were like that way you don't have to go see a doctor and so that way there's no copay Mm. so i don't know if what that's about yeah, so telemedicine is something that I personally loved as a pediatrician, um, especially for kids I knew because, for instance, I could see them for their physical, and if something comes in and there comes up in their well child care or for you for your well women's care, that your doctor wants to follow up with you with, but and wants to devote time to that, you can set up a telemedicine appointment, and sometimes that's on the phone, sometimes that's um, like a video call, just like this. And so in some ways it was great because I could see my kids in their home environment and they would show me their toys and I could, you know, see what they're actually like and how they're actually walking and growing and developing. And and sometimes kids act, well, not sometimes, kids usually act different in the hospital versus the clinic. And we were really utilizing that a lot with COVID, especially if people didn't have to come in, like they didn't have, we were relatively healthy, they didn't need shots. Um, just to sort of minimize exposure for our patients too. Um, and I think that there's definitely been a push that, hey, we we were able to figure that out. We should continue this beyond the pandemic as well. Um, and I think it works especially well for things like simpler things like, oh, my kid accidentally ate this. I'm not sure if we should go to the ED or not, or mental health follow-ups. There's no reason that you need to come back in person for a mental health follow-up if we just started a medicine and you're working with your therapist. Like I can check in with you over video, things like that. Or if we, you know, started a new medicine and we just want to check in about side effects. So telemedicine is an emerging field for sure. It was sort of in the works before the pandemic and then the pandemic hit and we had to figure out how to utilize it so that we could keep connecting with patients. And I think it's great that your insurance offers it. And I would totally, I would totally use it for any, anything you don't physically have to be in the office for. I think in terms of insurance plan, the payments probably work different. I don't know all the, all the details of both ends. It's, I think that's honestly probably the, the more, most complex part. Every state was also handling telemedicine visits differently. Mm-hmm. And you, there's a lot of restrictions around it, but when it's offered, I think it's a great idea for sure. Yeah. I just think, again, to all our listeners, if I think it's worth looking into it, if telemedicine, you know, maybe it's more 
I believe from what I was told yesterday in that call that it's more budget friendly because I literally, he asked me and he said, did you ever get the scan from your OBGYN that she recommended? And I said, I was like, honestly, I didn't do it because they told me it was going to be like a $400 copay for both tests. And I was like, and I'd rather pay rent. And so we both kind of laugh it out. <laughs> and then he was like, we don't want to ever put you again in that position where you forego a test or a scan or an ultrasound or whatever, you know, just because it's not within your budget. So then he just, he just gave me a couple options that are more budget friendly. And so the takeaway for our listeners is, you know, you're now saying that it's a emerging uh, practice. And so it's worth looking into it and see if, if you have health insurance to see if maybe it um, it's a better option for you, you know, to not having to go to the doctor's office and, you know, have to pay that copay. Um, so I don't know. I just thought it was very interesting. To my knowledge, there's also options like that, telemedicine options available, even if you're not insured. And mm -hmm. I've spoken with doctors who are in Latin America. So they provide services to Spanish speaking communities here in the US and they pay the prices that you would pay in like Latin America. I would have to get the name of those startups, but that's what I spent some time doing when I was at my previous job, like interviewing and testing out those platforms that were emerging. Mm. So that's, really, that's a really great, actually a really great resource. Telemedicine is definitely like on the way up. I'm curious, Natalia, about your personal take on what you think the healthcare system is going to look like 30, 40 years down the road? Yeah, I think that's, that's hard because I've only, you know, only been a physician now for, I guess, three-ish years. And I feel like it changed, you know, halfway through my residency program, COVID hit and things had to change quite fast. Um, I mean, within weeks we were, we had to shut down a, a really small scale clinics and go, you know, full force running with, a hybrid of telemedicine and in-person visits. I think as we're sort of one, a new generation of physicians is, is training and becoming and, and filling the workforce and are, you know, using, you know, putting their ideas together and figuring out how to best serve people. I think that we're going to see a lot of differences, you know, in terms of even on the inpatient side for people, I think that there'll be some, some expansion too. There's talks of of teleconsults, so like telemedicine for doctors, doctor to doctor. Of hey, there's this this patient has this problem, and and um, we're not really sure where to start on it. Um, talking with other doctors and figuring out how to make that work from a sort of hospital admin point of view. I think that's going to be changing, which I think will really help. You know, the doctors on the front lines taking care of patients like on the border or places where there's just less resources. I think, I think people are more open to, to a different way of serving people now that we've had to be challenged like this, you know, particularly with COVID. Um, I think the people who choose to do medicine have been really, it's been really amazing to see how people came together with the pandemic and how you had pediatricians helping take care of adults because there wasn't enough adult doctors with COVID. You had, um, you know, really, like surgeons doing general medicine to help again take care of, of people and I think we've once we get out of this I think there'll there'll be some new thoughts and how and how to practice how to serve how to reach people uh, you know one of the most amazing things I saw during the pandemic was how 
communities really rose up to help each other and figured out what they needed. Um, I'm really proud of the vaccination rate in Baltimore where I was practicing before. The, you know, our patients talk to each other and they help to get each other resources and talk to each other about the vaccinations and, and protecting themselves. And, and they also really banded together and making sure that, you know, people had food and other necessary life resources. I think there's also people are recognizing the importance of community health and community advocacy and people working together that medical care is not just about doctors, definitely not just about us. We're such a small part of it, um, but really empowering people to take ownership over their own health and to reach out to other people and help them um, when things are tough. I think things are, are changing and I think it'll be really cool to, to see that in the next you know couple of years, especially as we're emerging out of out of this. I think that was just so inspiring. <laughs> I love, I loved everything you said. <laughs> I loved that. It was just like the perfect way to wrap up this conversation. Natalie, I want to thank you for just shining some light on this topic. Again, we could talk hours and hours and ask you so many questions. Um, but I just want to thank you again for explaining a little bit of what you're seeing. I think it's very important to get a a point of view from someone that we can relate to. I think it's always such a relief to find someone that sees that. I guess that wraps up the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Natalia. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I really thought this conversation was super insightful for our audience. So. Previously, Bold Ambition has been very adamant and passionate about sharing the paths of these women who are killing it in their profession, such as medical school, engineers, et cetera. But what was really interesting about Natalie is that she's already a physician. She's a Latina physician from the border. So getting a peek of what her day-to-day -day looks like and the behind the curtains of the medical industry, that was what was most insightful to me and educational because we really don't know as consumers what's going on in the hospital day-to-day. -day. Right, because I feel like now season three, not only do we want to showcase amazing Latinas, but also I think we're getting to see where they're making an impact, right? So I'm, we're getting a sense that Natalie, being a Latina doctor, she's serving her community by being at, at this specific hospital, right? And all the things, the small or big things that she does for all her patients and the, their families, I think goes a long way. And my favorite part was when she's talking about community, the power of community, um, helping each other. I just love that, you know, the whole entire season three, we've been talking about taking action. And I think this is, this is it. We are seeing her in action. She's an example of someone being, taking action and doing something and not just speaking it. It's not just words, right? But it's, it's the actual doing it. So I, I felt really empowered by it. I also want to say that it feels so good to hear such an amazing, badass woman <laughs> representing us, not a, not just as a physician, but I think also as a Latina, as a Mexicana, uh, as a woman. Like she is just representing so many of us and it feels so good. I'm so proud of her. Totally. We didn't get to touch on this in the episode itself, but I was going to note that there, there is a lack of Latinas, Latinos in general in, in the medical field, but being able to talk to her 
and see the work that she's doing made me feel better because we're on the right path. Specifically, like just to give out numbers, only 8% of doctors in Texas are Hispanic, but the Texas Hispanic population is 34%. So you can see quite the disparity there. Oh, absolutely. If this episode could serve to empower, again, to empower other women or other Latinos to join the field, right? Because I think it's super important to look after one another, as in like us, our community. I also think it's super important to know, to take note of that statistic, because I feel like within our culture, sometimes we want to create a bond and have a connection because we feel better understood. So again, going to the doctor, you know, we don't get to do that often, right? Like you and I, for example, we talked about how it's almost like a, it's a privilege to get to go to the doctor. But whenever you find someone that you can connect over your culture or, you know, the fact that you both, you speak my same language, it's, it's a plus. So if anything, I do hope that more Latinas get encouraged to go into the field, become doctors, not just save lives, but be there for their community. And for those of you that are already, you know, on track to become doctors, you go. We're proud of you. We're cheering you on. And knock on wood, we won't need your services. But, <laughs> but we're so happy that you are there for our people. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of Bold Ambition Podcast. Catch you next week. See ya.